Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. We'll get back into the Super Bowl and Eli Manning talk. Antonio Brown is back in the wrong headlines. More on that as well. College basketball, the Tar Heels are miserable. So are the Demon Deacons. Carolina falling at Blacksburg. More college hoops. Mike DeCourcy live in 30 minutes. The Hall of Famer from the Sporting News. The NBA was front and center last night. It will be again so tonight. And those are among the reasons we reached out to our next guest from NBC Sports, their national NBA insider, Tom Haberstroh, is joining us. Last night, of course, Zion Williamson's NBA regular season debut. It went from slow for about three quarters to spectacular and a thrilling spectacle, really. All-Star Game starters are going to be announced tonight on national TV. Former Hornet Kemba Walker is expected to be one of those in the East to discuss these things and more. Tom Haberstroh, welcome back, man. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing well. Uh, what did you think is of last night's debut, where for three quarters Zion had only five points, four rebounds, one assist, four turnovers. He was visibly frustrated, and I could see his naysayers chirping already on Twitter. And then all of a sudden, he goes crazy, 17 straight points, dunks, three-pointers, and ends up breaking Anthony Davis's franchise record with uh, 22 points in his franchise debut. W will the real Zion Williamson please stand up, and what do you think it's going to be? Oh, man, it was electric. I am so glad I stayed up to watch that whole game. Me too. Um, it was one of those things where, uh, as a writer, I was writing off of the game. And to give you a peek behind the curtain, a lot of times when you're a writer writing a game column, you kind of pre-write a little bit. You watch the first three quarters, you see how a yeah. player is playing, or you see how the game is going, and you pretty much write your lead, your opening paragraph, and you figure out your themes, and then you start writing the body, right? Last night was a lesson that you should never pre-write because I, was, I had it all written out. That I am Williamson coming back was a dud and that we, we need to like lower expectations because he's been off for three months. And then the fourth quarter happened and it was electric. It was one of those things where it, it was clear that Zion Williamson was just trying to figure out his, his conditioning, figuring out where he fit in the offense. I think we saw that he was 19 years old in a grown man's league and I think when you see that and you consider that these are human beings, these aren't video games, this isn't a cartoon, this is not the movies, this is a real 19-year-old who's as private as they come being on national television in his debut and all he's heard over the last three, four, five months is, when are you going to play? Remember, this guy was shut down after nine minutes in summer league. He played four games in preseason, amazing four games in preseason, and then missed three months. So he has been, uh, you know, just trying to get out there. And when you watched the fourth quarter, everything was on display. The passing, the handling, the defense, the shooting. I mean, that's what stands out to me is the confidence in that fourth quarter where for the first three quarters, he seemed like he was just lost. Help us with your long-term perspective. We have read at times that Zion's rookie debut was the most anticipated in the NBA since maybe LeBron James in 2003, although some argue you know, that there may be one or two others on this list. It got to the point, Tom, where like, I now know that the arena employee Zion Huggs on the way in is named Joanna. 
and the officer whose hand he shakes before every game is named Rudy Brown. And, you know, it's we know every last detail about every aspect of Zion's debut. I know the world has changed, and this is a guy who had millions of social media followers even before he got to Duke, for crying out loud. But does it fit that category of, you know, most anticipated, most scrutinized in, you know, 17 years since that LeBron guy? Oh, yeah. Um, for me, this is what I wrote in my column, which should be up on NBCSports.com shortly. Um, is that he is an upgraded hybrid of Lob City Blake Griffin and point forward Blake Griffin. Mm. Like when I watch Zion Williamson play, he has that Lob City just, you can't take your eyes off him in the open court. Uh, he's going to fit dunk everything and he jumps out of the gym and we don't normally see hops like this from a guy who's that big at 6'6", 300 pounds. Um, I don't believe the 285 thing. Like, I don't. You look at that guy, yeah. you say he's 285. I don't believe that for a second. And then you see Blake Griffin, what he did for the Clippers in the first couple of years, where it was just it was ridiculous. I mean, a guy that size, and he was 6'8", 250 pounds, um, or 6'9", 250 pounds. This guy, Zion, he shows what the – the updated version of Blake Griffin is the, the point forward aspect is what's so exciting to me is that we didn't get to see that Blake Griffin a lot in the Clippers uniform. And last year, Blake Griffin averaged, you know, 25 points, uh, you know, seven rebounds and like five assists last year being a point forward for the Pistons. And I think that's what Zion is, is a guy who's not only going to jump out of the gym and make these acrobatic plays and be an, a human highlight reel, but he's also super skilled. There were a couple plays last night where he was uh, leading the fast break as the center, as the 19-year-old yeah. center in the NBA, looking like that, running a fast break, passing to Etwan Moore, um, you know, a bullet that you would see from LeBron or Jason Kidd. You know, Zion, the center, is doing that. So going forward, you know, you can't get over the fact, you can't ignore it, that he has knee injuries. Right there, are, there's a health concern here with Zion Williamson. That, by the way, we had with Blake Griffin as well. He strained his M MCL in college in his freshman year at Oklahoma, and then he tore his meniscus and needed arthroscopic surgery at Oklahoma as well, and then broke his kneecap the first year that he was in the NBA and missed the season before he made his debut. And he still was Lob City Blake Griffin. So I think. Going forward, there always is going to be the injury question when a guy that size waddles like he does, but I still think he's an upgraded version of Blake Griffin because of not just his dunking ability, but his, his point guard abilities at that size. Tom Haberstroh is joining us. Follow him on Twitter, at Tom Haberstroh. Find his work at NBCSports.com. And for those who didn't see it, it is not only individual brilliance, 17 straight points for the Pelicans, uh, final line, 18 minutes, 22 points, an efficient 8 for 11 from the field, 4 out of 4 three-pointers, 7 rebounds, 3 assists, 5 turnovers. He did break Anthony Davis's franchise record for most points in a debut. Let me follow up on something you just said there. The laws of physics you know, lead to things like Zion Williamson's exploding shoe during his time at Duke, right? I mean, whatever these dimensions, we just haven't seen him in this level of athleticism very often, if ever. 
how do you as a numbers guy, I often think of you, of course, as a statistics guru, but what has science told us numbers-wise about a Blake Griffin and about a Zion Williamson? Because we did see Alvin Gentry after the game. He knew he was getting those questions. Why'd you take Zion out? You went from 10 points down, you put him in, and you roared all the way to the lead, and then you had to take him out. And he said, doctor's orders, don't ask me that question. So they're clearly following <laughs> medical advice. What do you make of that bigger picture? Well, as I wrote in this column, when Blake Griffin was with the Clippers, they had one trainer and one physical therapist. Their sports science staff consisted of two people because uh, Donald Sterling, the owner of the Clippers, uh, the infamous owner of the Clippers, was too stingy, would not pay for a medical staff that was commensurate with the rest of the league. And I asked Doc Rivers a few years ago when he was the president and head coach of the team, I said, you know, Blake has been facing all these injuries with his knees and with his quad tendon, and it seemed like he was laboring through some games over the past couple of years. Do you think if you guys had invested in medical science and sports medicine and sports science earlier, it might have been preventable? And he stammered for like 30 seconds, and he just, at the end of it, he said, you know, even if we could have done something, would we have had the resources to do it? And I think that's what you're looking at with Zion Williamson is they have overhauled their sports science and medical in New Orleans with the VP of basketball operations, David Griffin, who won the Cleveland Cavaliers uh, championship with the GM for the Cavs for LeBron James. David Griffin has overhauled and revamped their, their sports science and medical because he understands that in today's NBA, you have to be sure with these superstars if they're, what they're doing is healthy. And there's a study out there from P3 Sports uh, Science out in Santa Barbara where a lot of NFL and NBA athletes go to reprogram their biomechanics and get assessments. They found that weight, mass, does not have a, uh, a significant predictor on whether you have knee problems. What does have a significant pro- predictor of knee problems in, at the NBA and pro level, level is your biomechanics. You know, how, how is your knee bending when you bend your knee? Is it bowing inward like what we're seeing with Zion Williamson? Is, is your posterior chain okay? Like all these biomechanics, how you land, how you take off, that's far more important than how much weight is on that suspension. So imagine a car with a bad braking system or a bad suspension is way more important than the weight of the car. And I think with Zion, yes, it probably is better for him to lose some weight, but really what he needs to do is make sure that his biomechanics are stronger so he's not waddling around the floor. Um, I think that's a bigger deal than his weight. I think he needs to straighten that out, which is what he was trying to do over the past three months with with the Pelican staff. But I think he needs to do more going forward to ensure that there is no Uh, kink in the system and that he is able to just do this for years and years to come after last night's zion williamson spectacle tonight's highlights include the announcement of the all-star game starters uh i don't know if you have you know picked your entire nba all-star team but one thing that just jumps out to me and then i'll ask you to follow up on some local guys you know imagine just if the western conference starters are luka Doncic. James Harden, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Kawhi Leonard. I know there are other candidates, but that's that's just a freak show and, and a reminder of how much fun the NBA still is. Uh, you can add whatever you want to what you expect tonight, but also uh, 
you know, Chris Paul's a big deal around here. I know he's kind of not not a starter candidate, but he seems like an, a, an, a legitimate candidate to be added to the roster later, whereas most people have stopped thinking about him. He's with the Thunder now. Uh, they're better collectively than many thought. Chris Paul's been one of the better clutch guys in the whole NBA. Uh, Brandon Ingram of Duke may finally be breaking through this barrier as well. What do you think? Uh, some think Montrez Harrell is in the mix. He's a state of North Carolina guy. What do you think generally about tonight's announcement and then the filling out of the, that roster? Uh, the only guy we know from our neighborhood we'll see tonight is Kemba Walker, formerly of the Hornets, uh, assume will be a starter tonight for the East. Yeah, to me, um, this is the all-star game. This is not the all-NBA. Save me the super serious analyses that we're seeing about value judgments, evaluating a player value this season and how many games they played. I want to see the stars. Yeah. Right? Like, this is a spectacle. It is a uh, it is an amazing event for the NBA to show off what these athletes can do. Like, as much as I love Chris Middleton and Kyle Lowry and, and respect what they do for their winning club, I want to see Trey Young. I want to see uh, Kemba Walker. I want to see Luca. I want to see all these guys who are amazing passers or jumpers or shooters playing this game because I, I'm sorry. If I'm going to have a tiebreaker over two players, I want to pick the one that is going to make it more entertaining for, for me to watch. And that's not to say that we just get a bunch of yeah. uh, athletes out there and don't uh, reward good play. But for me, uh, Chris Paul is, is going to be in the All-Star game. I think of the respect around the league for what he's done this season. The Oklahoma City Thunder were picked to win 32 games win 32 games this season by, by Vegas. Right now they're 26-19. and 19. They're right there with the Houston Rockets, who, by the way, traded uh, huge, a boatload of picks plus uh, Chris Paul um, to get Russell Westbrook. And now OKC is about to pass them in the standings. So for me, Chris Paul is in the All-Star game, and Brandon Ingram is just outside it. Okay. I think with, with Ingram, it's just tough because the, the Pelicans haven't been very good this year without Zion. I think the rest of the field, they're really, really uh, – there's a lot of competition. For me, Chris Paul is in there. Gobert, Jokic, <laughs> Donovan Mitchell, Damian Lillard, and uh, Devin Booker are in there for the, for the West Bench. West is so stacked, but East, quietly very good too. Last thing for Tom Haberstroh joining us again. Find his work as the National NBA Insider for NBCSports.com on Twitter, at Tom Haberstroh. Uh, the best I can tell, I'm originally from Philly, and I remain skeptical about the Sixers, you know, I don't know, the, the, the sum of the parts being better than the sum of the parts, or however that saying goes. Are, is it really Bucks, Lakers, and Clippers, and then a drop-off? Or, you know, is there, are there fewer or more teams on your personal top tier as we're uh, now into the second half of the regular season? Watch out for the Utah Jazz. Watch out for this team. They have the best five-man lineup in the NBA by plus-minus, meaning they've outscored opponents by 199 points this season when their starting lineup of Donovan Mitchell, Royce O'Neal, Boyan Bogdanovich, Rudy Gobert, and Joe Ingles not a single all-star on the team, no Mike Conley who they traded for this summer on that lineup, and yet it's the best in the NBA. So people do not sleep on the Utah Jazz who are second in the Western Conference. I'm not willing to put their, them in the true contender list, but if there is a team that could jump into that mix, it's that Utah Jazz team that has Mike Conley, Jr., Mike Conley coming off the bench 
and still hasn't played well for them this year, the highest-played player. We know how good he can be when he's healthy. So watch out for the Utah Jazz. Philly, I'm higher on than most. I'm probably higher on than you I hope you're uh, right. about Philly because defensively I just think they have another another um, level that they can get to than just about any team in the NBA. So I, I really like Matisse Tybal, the rookie, and Ben Simmons I think is much better than people give him credit for. So for me, Philly and Utah are in that next tier, but the Milwaukee Bucks, man, they're on pace for 71 wins. Mm. It's crazy what they're doing this season. His name is Tom Haverstrow. He is a lot of fun. He knows our neighborhood well, and he knows the NBA really, really well. If you like numbers, if you like the eyeball test, you will like his work in either category. Thank you, as always, for your time here on the David Glenn Show. You got it. Anytime. Mike DeCourcy, Hall of Famer from the Sporting News, live in about 15 minutes. That leaves time for your calls on the other side. We are talking rock bottom. The Tar Heels are there or near there, 8-10, and 1-6 and six in the ACC, dead last in the conference standings after losing to Virginia Tech up in Blacksburg in double overtime last night. Question of the day, since misery loves company, what was your rock bottom moment as a fan of any of the college basketball teams we follow closely? Uh, interesting answers from Duke State, Wake, and Carolina fans so far. For many Tar Heel fans, this year, while horrible, is not rock bottom. I can think of at least one really I mean, seriously, worst year for the Tar Heels in my 34 years covering them. I can think of only one year that I would describe as rock bottomish at Duke over my 34 years now covering them. I can think of a couple possibilities for State or Wake, and there's just one that screams out for the Tar Heels even more than however miserable this season turns out to be. More on those stories, and we're going to give away a prize on the other side. As we toasted Eli Manning and his retirement press conference tomorrow, but it's already official. He is retiring at 39 years old. He is a two-time Super Bowl MVP, and there are only four other men who won at least two Super Bowl MVP trophies or more. He's also a two-time Super Bowl champion. We will give away a trivia prize for somebody who will tell us the other Super Bowl MVPs twice or more over. We'll tell you more about the Eli Manning story. The most shocking number, there's one number, not wins and losses, not number one overall draft pick, not 39 years old, not even 210 consecutive starts, which is what Eli had from 2004 to 2017. The most surprising number I have seen in any of the Eli Manning is retirement stories with more NFL, more college basketball, another bizarro world update on the 31-year-old former Steelers wide receiver Antonio Brown. Tiger Woods is back in action on the golf course today. The NBA All-Stars are named tonight, at least the starters. More college hoops as well with your calls, 1-800-849-2761 on the David Glenn Show. I believe it is the NBA's turn in the line dance. And I don't think they can dance. I don't think they can dance as well as DG dances. And I'm only a three or a four. The David Glenn Show, weekdays at noon. Hated for his team to lose Cole. It drives me crazy to see young people hurt, but coach doesn't need my sympathy. He's a Hall of Famer. He's won a gazillion games, more games than I'll ever win, and that's the Tar Heels over there. They'll be just fine. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Mike DeCourcy, Hall of Famer from the Sporting News, will drop by later this hour. That was Virginia Tech head coach Mike Young. 
as he has one of the more pleasant surprises, pleasant surprises, in all of college basketball. His Hokies 14 and five, five and three in the conference standings after beating the Tar Heels in come from behind fashion last night. The Tar Heels, of course, are among the most unpleasant surprises in all of college basketball. That was Mike Young of the Hokies, a friend of Roy Williams, being asked if he feels sorry for Roy Williams and the Tar Heels. They have lost six straight conference games for the first time in the history of their program. That is a low among many lows this year. I believe at no point last night, by the way, were there five Tar Heels that Roy Williams trusted to put out there against the Hokies as they were trying to protect that lead for the most part. You need five to play. He trusted Garrison Brooks, who had a really good game. He trusted Armando Baycott, but the freshman big man ended up with a lot of foul trouble. He trusted Justin Pierce, who had one of his best games as a transfer, a grad transfer into UNC. Uh, and maybe, maybe he trusted somebody else last night, but no Cole Anthony, of course, that's been going on for quite a while. No Brandon Robinson, his senior wing guard. Neck issues related to that traffic accident he had a while back. No Anthony Harris, a promising young talent as a freshman guard as well. There were, I'll say, at least three, maybe four players that he trusted last night. To win an ACC road game, you need to have at least five that you really trust. You got to put five out there at crunch time. You got to put five out there in overtime. You got to put five out there in double overtime. Roy Williams didn't have five guys he trusted. And late in the game, Baycott had already fouled out, so he only had three guys out there that he trusted. Brooks was fantastic. Pierce was very good. The guard play was mostly abysmal, and that's going to be a continuing theme at least until Cole Anthony comes back, and even then, there is no panacea in the works for Roy Williams' Tar Heels. Can they get better? Yes. When Cole Anthony plays, their defense is automatically better and their offense automatically runs more efficiently because guys asked to do jobs they can't do right now can go back to doing the jobs they're better at. Andrew Playtech, just shoot three-pointers. You'll be a lot more open when Cole Anthony gets back. Brandon Robinson, you're not going to be asked to create magic from the top of the key. Go back to shooting wing jumpers after Cole Anthony and Garrison Brooks get most of the defensive attention. Leaky Black doesn't have to pretend that point guard is his first position. He can go back to being that Swiss Army knife, Theo Pinson style. It's not just Cole Anthony's freshman All-American caliber talent that will give the Tar Heels a lift. It's his presence allowing other guys to go back to more traditional job descriptions. We'll see how far out of this enormous hole the Tar Heels can get or not. The question of the day is with them in mind. Since misery, misery loves company, what was your rock-bottom moment, the lowest of all lows as a fan of any of the college basketball teams we follow closely? The trivia question that may be won right now by Lewis and Wilmington is honoring the retiring quarterback for the New York Giants, Eli Manning. He's not only a two-time Super Bowl champion, famously, he is a two-time Super Bowl MVP. Both of those victories, remember, came at the expense of the Patriots. One of those two New England teams at the Super Bowl had been previously undefeated. So when Eli Manning, five years from retirement, is part of that Hall of Fame conversation, just remember, for every stone you can throw about what he didn't do or his mediocre win-loss record as a regular season starter for the Giants, 117 and 117. For every one of those nuggets, there's, there's only five men who have ever been Super Bowl MVP twice or more. 
Who are the other four? Our hint was that they're all quarterbacks as well. Lewis in Wilmington has a chance to win a prize right now. Lewis, welcome to the David Glenn Show. Thanks for hanging in there. Do you know all four of the others besides Eli? I do. I got all four, man. All right, Land. Uh, did you know it off the top of your head, or did you have to do some research? I actually read it this morning when I was getting up for work at uh, 12 o'clock awesome. morning. So L Lay it on. I, you, get, you get up for work at midnight? Uh, yeah, I do. Hey, do you want to share what you do for a living? I don't like to make people uncomfortable live on the radio, but I'm just curious. <laughs> uh, I deliver uh, books and magazines. All right, cool. So, All right, let's yeah. see if we can get you a big prize, Mr. Uh, I Deliver Books and Magazines. Uh, I get uh, up at midnight. I'm impressed by that. I'm probably more impressed by that. I start my workday at midnight. This trivia is kind of trivial after that kind of an accomplishment right there. But go ahead. Who do you got? I appreciate it. Uh, Tom Brady, Joe Montana, Terry Bradshaw, and Bart Starr. Very well done. Are you old enough to have enjoyed all four of those guys as NFL quarterbacks? Uh, Bart Starr, no, and Terry Bradshaw, no. Okay. Yep. I, I'm yep. kind of three of the four. I know Bradshaw, Montana, and Brady, of course, uh, not old enough to truly appreciate the legend of Bart Starr, other than what I've read in magazines and books, possibly b delivered by Lewis and Wilmington. Uh, stay on the line. We'll tell you how to claim your prize. Congratulations. Oh, so I can't even feel my arms. I wonder. Uh, let me see. Todd and Smithfield's waited a long time. Let me see if Todd can win a prize here. Todd, uh, do you mind? Did you hit a curveball well back in the day? Because the, the main trivia question was just stolen from you. Would you like to attempt to hit a trivia curveball? I tell you what. I would like to, first of all, David, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, man, I didn't uh, want you to hang in there that long and, like, go away empty-handed. I just, I have another question for you if you're in the mood. Some people don't I, like questions that they didn't know were coming. Like, you knew what the question was that you called about, and I feel bad I, now because somebody else stole the prize. I tell you what, let me just add a little to what Lewis and Wilmington said. Look at you go. Our stars with Super Bowl one and two. Oh, cool. Terry Bradshaw's with Super Bowl thirteen and fourteen. That's some Joe Montana's was Super Bowl 16, 19, and 24. Wow. Tom Brady's was Super Bowl 36, 38, 49, and 51. And Eli's was Super Bowl 42 and 46. That's, I mean, that's prize-worthy trivia right there. I'm going to ask Todd a just-for-fun question that he is not as prepared for. That's dazzling details right there. But I guarantee Todd will know at least one of the correct answers. Also on... Sorry to put the pressure on you there, Todd, but you just really overwhelmed me with that knowledge. Uh, <laughs> Eli Manning, as he retires, stands fourth on a different list. He started 234 games with the New York Giants. There are three quarterbacks and only three who started more than 234 with a specific franchise. And a really big hint would be that one of the three is, well, he was active this past season, and I think he's going to continue to be active. Uh, would you know any of those three? More starts than Eli's 34 for the Giants for their respective franchises. Would it be Phillip Rivers, Tom Brady, and Joe Montana? No, but Brady is correct, so I'm sending you home with a prize. Brady has started 283 with the Patriots. Rivers is close. 
Uh, the other two correct answers were Brett Favre with 253 in a Packers uniform and Dan Marino 240 in a Dolphins uniform. Again, Eli would be fourth. Most starts for a single franchise. Phillip has to be close to that. I got to look up that number now that you mentioned him. Either way, you're a winner. Thanks for the dazzling details and thanks for hanging in there. Glad we could send you home for something. Stay on the line. We'll tell you how to claim your prize. Mike DeCourcy is a Hall of Famer in his own right. From the Sporting News, we'll talk Tar Heels. The misery continues in Chapel Hill, but we got to talk about glass half full stuff as well. Florida State, Louisville, Duke carrying the torch well for the Atlantic Coast Conference. NC State, Virginia Tech, UVA, Syracuse, maybe even others want to join the big three as NCAA tournament teams. It ain't over yet in this neighborhood or otherwise for college basketball. A lot of good storylines still unfolding. We'll talk all things college hoops with the master of such things, Mike DeCourcy, next on The David Glenn Show. I would never be so competitive, so childish, that I would actually keep track of my record as a coach in youth soccer. I mean, that would be ridiculous. So when I think about my 78 wins, two losses, and four <laughs> ties, not that I was keeping track or anything. Stay with us on The David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. It's a strange year in college basketball in a lot of ways, nationally and closer to home. UNC fans are joined by Wake Forest fans in just figuring out the degree of misery they're experiencing right now. Duke is closer to the other end of the spectrum, back where the Blue Devils usually are, among the contenders for the national title and the ACC title. NC State fans are somewhere in between, but certainly have realistic hopes for making a run at an NCAA tournament bid. Joining us now to talk all things basketball and even some other things, we extend his versatility whenever we get an opportunity to do such, is Hall of Fame college basketball writer for the Sporting News. You can also catch him as Fox Sports Bracketologist nowadays, the Big Ten Network's studio analyst, and really all-around good guy. Mike DeCourcy, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. How are you? I'm great, Dave. How are you? I'm doing well. We're going to steer you, of course, to one of your main areas of expertise, college hoops today. But before we get there, I thought it was fun that you, a lifelong Pittsburgh Steelers fan, have gotten to the point where you could basically teach a seminar on how to truly enjoy, uh, you know, get the emotional and fulfillment out of a sporting event without being distracted by unnecessary unnecessary downsides so you're educating chiefs fans and to a degree 49ers fans what what would go into that mike DeCourcy class for all of our sports fans out there well i, I it this is uh the concept was mostly uh, m mostly about the super bowl because of its unique structure uh and also because of my uh, unique experience with it, uh, the the idea of having the Steelers be in the Super Bowl eight times from the time I was a teenager until now and win six of them, you know, I learned some lessons along the way about how not to leave a hole in those experiences. And the first thing was that because you get two weeks to prepare for this game, the first thing you want to do is not obsess about the game mm. but rather to revel in it like it's it, i compare it to like a birthday party it's like a two-week birthday party <laughs> uh, 
and you can enjoy the fact that it's a p- birthday party, or you can sit there and think, oh, man, I'm another year old. <laughs> which <laughs> yeah. of those is a better approach yeah. to life? Did know? I invite all the right uh, people? Did we pick the right time? Are we hosting it at the right place, right? Too many things to worry about. So, so that, I, I mean, like, so enjoy this if you're a Chiefs fan or a 49ers fan. Don't sit there and worry about whether or not you can stop the 49ers run game or whether Mahomes is going to have a good day or whether uh, Garoppolo is enough for the big moment. It, it, that's all for Super Bowl Sunday. But for these two weeks, just have fun with it. And the second thing that I would say is if your team is in it and you really care about who wins it, do not throw a Super Bowl party more than anything. That's the worst move you can make. And do not attend a Super Bowl party. That's the second worst move you can make. <laughs> because, you, you know, like it's all these people that you sort of kind of half care about or maybe not even know. <laughs> and in meanwhile, people are yapping at you where you're trying to pay attention to the game. And you don't want that. If you want to you want to focus in on so be with somebody that or somebody's that you care about best friends oh spouse kids those kinds of things Par- parents if you're fortunate enough to have them though so you, you do not want to spend that time as I did when the Steelers played in their third <laughs> Super Bowl in the 70s with my high school with with a girlfriend from my high school that wasn't lasting it was not the way to go <laughs> his name is mike decorsi he dials up life lessons whenever we request them let me brief you steer, briefly steer you to the nba you covered zion williamson closely at the college level you know the many conversations surrounding him and his much anticipated nba debut i don't know if you watched it or read about it but what did you think of his debut for the Pelicans last night? Slow start, but spectacular finish. Even set some records along the way. And more importantly, what do you think of his longer-term future at the next level? In a world where, you know, Kyrie Irving and Grant Hill are probably the best-ever former Blue Devils at the NBA level, do you think his uh, Zion's potential gives him a realistic chance to join those guys? Yeah, I think I think perhaps exceed them, and I, and you know that because this is 2020, and that, and it's the way the world works now. There are just a dozen, uh, dozens and dozens and dozens of people out there who are dying for him to fail. Of course, and and who because he's different, and they and they know better than the trainers and the and the coaches and the GM. They know better that you know whether or not his his structure can handle. 80 games in the NBA because they know better. So there's that. And, but they, and they, you know, and they look at him and they say, he's not a great shooter. Isn't that great? He went out and made four threes in in the fourth quarter. That was the best. Uh, So I, 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 first of all, if you have interacted with Zion at all, and I was fortunate enough to do it a little, I didn't get a chance to to do anything in depth with him, but I met him uh, when he was still in high school and spend a little time with him on, in an afternoon at one of the tournaments. And, and then I got a chance to be around him last year during the tournament, although not as long as he would have liked, I'm sure. Uh, and it's just a special kid, special young man, but, but it's more accurately. And, and, and there's very few people you should want to succeed more than him because he handles all this so well and he's so much about the game. For me, it's, if you are about the game, like, I'm on your side. The, the, the thing last year when he got hurt, oh, he should just shut it down. He's about the game. That's not even, he's not even thinking about that because he's about the game. 
And that's why I want him to do extremely well. Mike DeCourcy joining us on the David Glenn Show. Follow him on Twitter at TSN Mike. Jumping into college basketball before we get all the way to our backyard. You had a recent column on the Kansas-Kansas State post-game brawl that I believe uh, led to you concluding that, for example, Silvio DeSosa's punishment should reflect what happened, not what could have happened. What do you think was the appropriate punishment and why? Well, I think that the appropriate punishment, because of what he did do, you know, by picking up that stool, he changed the math and, and wielding it in the way that he did. So some people said to me on the radio in Kansas City, where I, I appear regularly, well, and he had people coming at him. Some people said he had people coming at him. And I'm like, okay, so if he picks up that stool and uses it as a defense, then, then that maybe changes the math in a different direction. You know, all of a sudden he's defending himself. He's fearing. Instead, he picked it up above his head and it for that moment was a potential weapon now he let go of the stool after some people tugged at it and some people grab you know tried to grab at him i think jaron Howard, the assistant coach tried to grab at him before he did anything with the stool but i don't think jaron's got there but i do think there was a photographer from behind who did pull on the stool and i don't know whether that convinced silvio to drop it or whether he did it on his own uh, but I, I did think that the, the proper punishment for him, based on the fact that that happened, was somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 games. So they went a little heavier than that. I'm not going to quibble about yeah. going a little heavier. Uh, I don't think that it would have been appropriate to, for it to be two. Uh, and I don't think it would have been appropriate for it to be the year or beyond. So I don't have a problem with the way the Big 12 handled that. I do have a problem with the way it's been discussed. This idea that because he taunted the Kansas State player, that he somehow was at fault. And I'm sorry, but that's complete nonsense. What he did, and it was outside the bounds of the rule book, what he did was worthy of a technical foul. That's all. Technical foul. Refs out there, guy stands over, taunts, that's a tee. You don't leave the bench and, and begin something because somebody did something that was worthy of a technical foul. The same night in West Lafayette, Indiana, Purdue had a player, I think he tried to make a layup, missed, got fouled or whatever, fell on the ground, was laying on his back. And in, <laughs> in a moment that I'm sure Carolina fans and state fans remember, uh, this young man from Illinois stepped on the Purdue player on the chest. And, and he was ejected from the game which is what he deserved. But no one from the Purdue bench ran out onto the floor and began a, right. uh, a, a altercation because of it. So I know where that circumstance began, and it wasn't with the steal that shouldn't have happened. It wasn't with the taunt that shouldn't have happened. It was with the departure from the bench that had no business happening. And I was pleased to see that there, were, there was also appropriate punishment for multiple players of the K-State team. To our backyard, that Roy Williams guy started coaching in 1978 at the college level as an assistant to Dean Smith. More than 40 years later, 
He has never been associated with a losing season. Not at Carolina, not the head coach at Kansas, not as an assistant to Dean Smith in Chapel Hill. His Tar Heels are 8-10 and 10 right now, Mike. I'm going to give you some pros and cons and tell me what you think is likely. Is Roy Williams on his way to his first losing record ever? On the one hand, as you know, Cole Anthony is expected to return very soon. They have Miami this weekend in Chapel Hill. They have NC State in Raleigh on Monday. They have Boston College in Chapel Hill after that. Lesser opponents, with the exception of the Wolfpack. But they still have to play Duke twice. They still have to go to Louisville. They still have to go to Florida State. And they have, I think, seven, seven road games total in these final 13 regular season games. Yikes. Does it all add up to Roy Williams making the wrong type of history with these Tar Heels? I think it largely depends on when when Cole returns because in those two out of three that are winnable, uh, they become they also become potential losses if he doesn't play. Right. And because they've shown that they can lose to anybody without it. And so I would say that if he does not return prior to February 1st, they'll probably wind up with a losing record. I think that's the, the correct bottom line. There's a lot to dissect there. We don't know when Cole's coming back, but we got to let Mike DeCourcy go. We'll have you back to talk Duke and State and the rest of the ACC, of course. Thank you, as always, for your visit on the David Glenn Show. Thanks, Dave. You got it. On Twitter at TSN, Mike online, sportingnews.com. He is the Hall of Famer. Catch him as the bracketologist recently hired by Fox Sports and a studio analyst on the TV side for the Big Ten Network as well. Virginia Tech 79, UNC 77 in double overtime. The Heels have lost five straight games and nine of their last 11. Remember that with Cole Anthony in November, they beat a top 10 caliber Oregon team and a pretty good Alabama team. Without Cole Anthony, they have lost seven of their last nine, or seven of nine overall, including a home loss to Wofford and home losses back to back to back to Georgia Tech, Pitt, and Clemson. It is still not the rock bottom moment in modern UNC basketball, in my eyes, I covered a moment even lower than that. We'll come back to your calls. Since misery loves company, what was your rock-bottom moment, the lowest of all lows as a fan of any of the college basketball teams that we follow around here? Wake and Carolina are experiencing lows again here in 2020. That is, There's no doubt about it. There have been lower lows, I believe, for both of those programs, just in my three-plus decades covering them. There have been some for Duke and State as well. More of your calls on those topics. More on Eli Manning, Antonio Brown, and other NFL. Zion Williamson and other NBA. Tiger Woods and Serena Williams and returns of GOATs to the tennis courts and the golf links. Your phone calls, too, 1-800-849-2761 on The David Glenn Show. Christian Leitner, thanks for joining us. It's been less than a week since the I Hate Christian Leitner 30 for 30. The final product of the movie was absolutely awesome. I love every second of it. Maybe I'm not seeing the same thing everyone else is seeing, but I thought the movie was awesome and I loved it. Keep it here on The David Glenn Show. I believe Will in Burlington has the best answer for the UNC portion of our question of the day. Others have the right answers at Duke and NC State, who are having a good season right now in the Wolfpack's case. 
a great one in the Blue Devils case. The question is the same for all. Since misery loves company, what was the rock bottom moment, the lowest of all lows, that you remember as a fan of any of the college basketball teams that we follow closely? Some Wake and Carolina fans believe 2020 right now fits that description. My memory is long enough that I can think of even worse situations in both cases. We'll get to Will in Burlington. We'll get to your calls. Eli Manning and other NFL, Zion Williamson and other NBA. 1-800-849-2761. That's next on the David Glenn Show. If my low and away curve that barely paints the black so frequently that nobody can hit it, you're going to tell me I got to throw change-ups, fastballs, and sliders all the time? Oh, it's too difficult to hit TTG's <laughs> low and away curveball. Wah, 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 wah. You're listening to The David Glenn Show.